All right, we'll turn to Acts chapter number 4. Acts chapter number 4. And we started a series last, well, I guess it was a couple of Wednesday nights ago because we were in the fellowship hall when the carpet was being done in here. And we spent a couple of weeks looking at Elijah. We're going to go to the New Testament and we're going to look at a Bible character by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas. Now, I don't know uh, very many Barnabases that I have met through the years. Uh, I'm sure there's a uh, few. Uh, maybe you've met one or, or, or known one. I do remember meeting a Barnabas who was a pastor uh, down in one of the islands in the Caribbean, and he had been visiting uh, Bob Jones while I was there and uh, met him, but I can't remember his church or what country he was from. So I don't, don't hear the name a whole lot. But he is known as the Son of Consolation. And that's from Acts chapter 4 in verse 36 where we see Barnabas and he comes on the scene. In Acts 4, we read of the church coming together and the church was donating to those who had need. Remember at Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved and God was adding to his church. There were a lot of needs because of the Jews that had come for Pentecost, and many of whom did not return back to their homeland, having been saved, knowing that they had no place when they went back where uh, they would be accepted or for whatever reason, uh, they did not return back to their homeland. And so the church, not by some government decree, Again, not by some communism or socialism, but just through the burden that God laid on the heart of the people of the church, of the early church, they made these donations to help those who were in need, many of whom were not able to or were not going to, for whatever reason, go back to their homeland, many of which was the direct result of having found a new family in, in Christ, in the church. And Barnabas comes on the scene in Acts 4 and verse 36. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we see him identified as Joseph. And again, this is a translation or a transliteration from the Greek, and we would simply know that name Joseph as Joseph. We know also from Acts 4 and verse 36 that he was a Levite. Now, what was true about the Levites regarding possession of land, of property? They did not have land. They did not have their own designated plot or area of land in Israel. They lived among the, uh, the uh, cities of refuge, and they lived among the, the people, but they were not given a lot of land. They were not given a plot like the other tribes. And, of course, the Levites were involved in the tabernacle, temple worship, and so their, in a sense, their portion, their inheritance was in the worship and in the religious service of the tabernacle and the temple and kind of a precursor to the, the pastor, teacher, and, and uh, the, 
the, the men that God gives to the church now. And so kind of a, a preview in a, in, a, in a sense of that. And of course, now we live in the, the church age. So Barnabas, being a Levite, sold a plot of land, but how would he have come across this land? How did he inherit this land? We don't know. But we do know that through the captivity and the scattering of the Jews in the empires and persecution, and we know Acts chapter 2, Jews came from all around the known world, and there were languages that were interpreted. They heard Peter preach, and there were known languages without Peter translating into dozens of different languages. God, in the gift of tongues, known languages were spoken that day. People got saved from all around the world that had come to the day of Pentecost. So we're guessing, without being overly dogmatic, that Barnabas from Cyprus, having dispersed, having gone there, maybe his family, his uh, heritage had gone back through the years, and he's lived in Cyprus. Now he is in Israel. He's in Jerusalem. He is a saved man, and he is burdened for the needs of these new believers. And he sells the plot of land that he has, and he gives the whole price to the, the church, to those needy people. And so without knowing all of his background, we do know that he had a religious heritage in a, being a Levite and knowing the heritage of the Levites and their call and their responsibility to the temple and the tabernacle. Uh, no doubt Barnabas knew what his ancestors had been involved with. I'm guessing that Barnabas had some knowledge of uh, the religious uh, law and the keeping of the tabernacle and the temple. And uh, we don't know exactly how he came to Christ, but it could have been there at the day of Pentecost. So in the map, Cyprus is the big island. I know it's not a very clear map. It's not real dark, but Cyprus is off the, the coast there of Lebanon and Israel out in the Mediterranean Sea. And it would be a location that Paul on his missionary journeys uh, would go to. And we'll see that even later in our, our Bible study. So that was where he was from. He had come from that island. Possibly that plot of land was there on Cyprus and was able to sell it and give that money to the church to meet the needs of the church and those people, many of whom were baby Christians who just had gotten saved at the day of Pentecost. So that's what this paragraph explains a little bit of that I just talked about. So his name, though, it's interesting, Joseph, or Joseph, but by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. So Barnabas is, in a sense, his nickname, his surname. The apostles gave him this name, and it means literally the son of consolation. And that word consolation is the word from which we get encouragement or comfort, and it's the same word used of the Holy Spirit, comforter or in the original language, we would define it or say it as paracletes, the one who comes alongside and comforts, encourages, 
and he is known as the son of consolation. That speaks to Barnabas's reputation. Again, we don't know his whole testimony and background and when he got saved and how he got saved. It's possible it was the day of Pentecost. It's possible he had been saved. He had been a true disciple, even from Cyprus and his days there. But he established a reputation early on that this was a man who encouraged the people, who had a love for the people, who had a gift of coming alongside and helping, comforting, consoling, encouraging, and helping people in their walk with the Lord and helping people through maybe hard times or difficult times. And we see that in his first recorded action of selling this piece of property and giving the whole price to the church and giving sacrificially. And that's where we're going to go as we look at Barnabas for a short time here tonight. We're going to see, first of all, his character. And that takes us to Acts 11. And we see there in verse 24, a brief description of Barnabas. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Good man, full of the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and of faith. Three descriptions that would be good for all of us to have. And it would be of good testimony if we had these descriptions, if somebody could put in short phrases, in just a handful of words, a description of us, I would hope and pray that we could at least have these general descriptions of our life, that we are a good person. Now, none of us are good in the sense that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not one. We're not perfect. Good in the sense of perfection. We've all failed. We all are sinners, and hopefully all sinners here tonight saved by grace. But that speaks to his character as a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a godly man. He showed by his life that he wanted to please the Lord with his life, that he wanted to serve the Lord with his life, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. Here's a man who was known for having a Holy Spirit-led life. The fruit of the Spirit was no doubt manifested in his life. Here's a man who was known for the virtues of the Christian life, and he was full of faith. Here's a man who had a hope in God, who lived with his eyes on the Lord, with his eyes on the Word. He had a look of eternal perspective. He set his affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Why else would he have sacrificed and given of that price of that land? He said, this plot of land is going to sit there and it might make me rich one day, but how much better to use it for eternity and give it to the church and to help those young believers. That's the kind of man... Barnabas was. And that's what is next on our list. He was sacrificial. He sold that land. He gave the prophet for the benefit of the gospel in the early days of the church. We go back to Acts 4, verses 36 and 37, once again, to see that. But let's also go to 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 6, and let's see another way in which Barnabas was sacrificial. We know that Paul And Barnabas went on that first missionary journey, called out from the church there at Antioch. In 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 6, we read that 
Paul says, or I only and Barnabas having or have not we power to forbear working? So in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is speaking of the fact that the laborer is worthy of his hire. You don't muzzle the ox. The farmer is allowed to partake of the fruits of his labor. So it is proper for a church to provide for its minister. So the church has the responsibility and is, it is not something that the pastor, the minister has to do, but it is clearly in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, a obligation in a sense. I don't know if I would even, uh, I want to be careful how, how I say it because we're, as, as a pastor, I'm called of God uh, to this church and we recognize that call together a year and a half or so ago. But Paul is saying, here's Paul saying, we did not take of any salary from the church. Paul and Barnabas had a bivocational ministry, but he was a tent maker. And Barnabas, he is saying, also did not take a salary from the church. And he is saying that we chose to not be a burden on the church in that way at that time, led of the Lord to be tent makers, to provide for our means. Now, there were times where I believe Paul uh, took offerings, but he was not paid a salary by the church. There seems to be indication in the epistles that there were occasions where Paul accepted an offering from the church. Uh, Epaphroditus even was involved in delivering one of those. Uh, from what uh, we understand. But Paul is saying, as a missionary, he and Barnabas sacrificed, worked as, and we know Paul was a tent maker, assuming Barnabas was working with Paul in tent making, and they did not take a salary from the church. So we see his sacrifice in that he sold that plot of land and gave it to the church, to those early believers. We also see him sacrificing in being a missionary and not taking a salary. The offering that they would receive, they took back to Jerusalem and gave it to the impoverished church there at Jerusalem as they were suffering through a famine. Paul and Barnabas worked on the side, more than likely, again, as tent makers, as we know Paul was and assuming Barnabas was as well. 2 Thessalonians 3 in verse numbers uh, 8 and 9 also seems to indicate this as well. Second Thessalonians 3, verses 8 and 9, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And again, going back to 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, and not getting into too much about Christian liberty, but simply Paul is saying we had the rights as ministers of the gospel to accept a salary, but we chose not to. We didn't want there to be anybody who said we took advantage of the church in any way. And he is repeating that in a sense in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, and he's saying no one can accuse us of taking advantage of the church financially. We exercised our Christian liberty in sacrifice. And this is, this is where Christian liberty is so misunderstood. 
Because so often Christian liberty is portrayed as, oh, I get to do whatever I want to do. I'm saved. I've got my fire insurance. I've got my license to live my life however I want because I am free in Christ. I have liberty in Christ. And we see over and over in the epistles, we see it in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we see it in, in other places as well, where Christian liberty is not about me just going and doing whatever I want, however I want, because I have this license from the Lord. I'm free from sin, and I have the grace of God, so therefore I can just kind of live it up as a Christian. When really that's totally misunderstanding where Christian liberty is. Christian liberty, yes, is I'm free from sin, but that obligates me to God to serve him, to submit to him, and to give of myself to others and to God's kingdom. And that may mean that I give up a privilege that I can take advantage of, but I give that privilege up because I want to minister to those who may not have that same privilege or may not have that same opportunity. Or if I don't sacrifice in that way, I won't have that opportunity to minister to them or to reach them with the gospel. And so Paul oftentimes, and here we see it with Barnabas, giving up what was rightfully his, a salary from the church, and chose not to take it because he knew that it would be a burden, a potential place of accusation or whatever the, the, the causes or the reasons may have been, Paul and Barnabas sacrificed because they wanted to have an opportunity to minister. They did not want money to be a hindrance in any way to the gospel and to their opportunities to minister to those people. And so often we let things get in the way of our opportunities to minister to people. Oftentimes it's selfish things. Sometimes it is money. We don't want to give of ourselves. It might be too much time. It might cost us too much. But here we see Barnabas sacrificing for the gospel, for the kingdom of God, to minister to people, to help people, to reach people, to avoid any kind of accusation, wrongful accusation, about how they used the money or how they used their service for the Lord. And we see Barnabas as a sacrificial individual. And then we also see him as a servant. He brought Paul to the apostles in Acts chapter number 9. In Acts chapter number 9, here is Paul, Saul, saved, having persecuted the church, and saved on the road to Damascus. He has some early training, but he is basically unknown to the church as a preacher. He's beginning to preach, beginning to share the gospel. And in Acts chapter 9, there is a fear as Paul preaches at Damascus in Acts 9, 20 through 22. Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And, was, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. And then we 
I won't go through and read the whole rest of the passage, but we see Barnabas bringing Saul to the believers at Jerusalem. And he gave testimony to God's changing Saul's life, changing him to the apostle Paul to be a preacher. And here we see Barnabas as a servant helping bring a new believer with doubts and fears and all of the things that were up against Paul in getting into the ministry and getting into areas of evangelism and service and preaching. And who helped open the doors? Who helped pave the way? Who helped set the fears at rest? It was Barnabas. And it is so important that we have Barnabases in our churches who are willing to, to see past sometimes the rough edges of individuals and maybe even help that individual with some of those rough edges or help introduce the church to people who are saved and are wanting to serve and can be effective servants. I'm so thankful for Barnabases in our churches who take someone underneath their wings, so to speak, and, and kind of bring them along and disciple them and, and encourage them and help them and help other people see that this is someone who God has saved and God wants to use. And then we see, in, I know in Paul's life, he becomes one of the greatest apostles, if not the greatest apostle. And obviously not every person that we meet is going to be at that stature and is going to have that kind of salvation experience. We understand that. But are there not people that God brings along in our lives and in our church that we can kind of reach out and we can kind of put our arms around their shoulders, so to speak, and we can help bring along and disciple and mentor and introduce to others in the church? And then we find ourselves one day serving alongside together. And you just kind of one day look around, and you're saying, how did you get here? How did you get here? And you know what happened? You just started serving the Lord together. You just started getting involved. It might have started with wiping off a table. It might have started with taking out the trash. It might have started with a crock pot of chili at a fellowship. And next thing you know, you're involved in this and you're involved in that. Next thing you know, you might be teaching in a Sunday school class. You might be starting a new ministry. You might be singing or playing an instrument. It's just amazing how God opens doors. Now, we know that God in his providence had a Barnabas, had Barnabas there to help Paul. But just imagine for a minute in our imagination if there had not been a Barnabas when Saul came to Jerusalem. Oh, that persecutor. Oh, I don't care what they say. No way God could ever forgive that man. And I'm certainly not going to forgive him. No way. Don't you know what he did? As a matter of fact, he was responsible for my so-and-so relative dying or going into prison. Don't you know he was there when Stephen was stoned? They were laying the coats at his feet. I don't know how many people rose up and walked out of the church that day. There might have been people. There might have been people who walked out of the church of Jerusalem and said, I'm not going to go to that church. I'm not going to be involved in those people. Not if Paul's going to be there. Not if Saul's going to be there. You know what he did to Stephen? Don't you know what he did to our, our family? What if there had not been a Barnabas? I just can't help in my imagination, you know, sometimes we do get it wrong. Sometimes we do take chances and we take risks with people and it blows up in our face and we're wrong. And we have to make amends for that. But too often we're not willing to take those risks with people. Too often we're just, nope, 
We just shut them down. What if Barnabas had done that with, what if the, the people there at Jerusalem, the church of Jerusalem had done that with Saul? Think about all the ministry. Think about all the revelation. Think about all of the service. Think about all that God did through the Apostle Paul. And what if there hadn't been a Barnabas to help introduce him to the church and say, hey, I have testimony of what God has done in this man's life. You, you may not have seen it. Nobody here. We didn't have Facebook, social media, Instagram, none of that. There was no concert or amphitheater that Paul had sold out and sold tickets to and everybody could watch the, the video of. No, it was simply a word of Barnabas who said, this is Saul who used to persecute the church, but I have watched what God is doing in his life. I have seen what God is doing. And I just believe that we need to welcome him in and God has something for this man to do. And look at what, what Paul did for the Lord. It's just amazing, the service. And it's just, it seems like such a, a small area sometimes, but it's amazing how God can use us in just small ways. And obviously God did great things with Paul. He encouraged the church in Antioch and included Paul in the ministry. Acts 11, we're out of time, so we won't be able to go uh, much further here tonight. But Acts 11, uh, God was doing a great work through Barnabas. He's preaching. He is in uh, Phenice and Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word. He is seeing God save Grecians. A great number believed, verse 21, turned unto the Lord. And Barnabas is saying, I am overwhelmed here. <laughs> God is doing a, a great work. A revival is taking place. I need help. And who does, he, who does he find? Saul, Paul, down in Tarsus. And he brings Paul, he brings Saul up, and they together serve for a year there, and God just explodes the church at Antioch. And then that church at Antioch becomes the sending church for Paul and Barnabas as missionaries. It's just, it's incredible. We'll have to, we'll have to stop here. Uh, right after that, they go down to Jerusalem. They report of what God is doing. They take that offering down there. And we'll have to come back and look some more at what Barnabas, what God does with Barnabas. But just exciting to see how God took a man who just was a simple, humble servant, just loved people, just came alongside people, was an encourager. And they named him the son of consolation, the son of encouragement, the son of comfort. The paraclete came alongside and he had a hand in the Apostle Paul. I don't know what Barnabas's riches are going to be in heaven, but I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of jewels in Barnabas's crown, a lot of riches in heaven. And one of the biggest jewels in his crown is going to be that he saw the Apostle Paul and he introduced him to the church. And he said, God wants to use this man. I've already seen it. And let's give him an opportunity. And may we have that opportunity to be a Barnabas in other people's lives and to serve the Lord the way Barnabas did. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our church. Thank you for the encouraging word from the word of God tonight. Thank you for Barnabas and his example. Lord, not a perfect man, but Lord, a servant of the Lord who believed that you could change people's lives and you could use people. And he sacrificed and he served. We thank you, Lord, for Barnabas and for his ministry in the Apostle Paul's life and, Lord, the riches that he must have in heaven. And, Lord, we look forward to meeting him one day and uh, praising uh, you alongside uh, with him. And, Lord, we thank you for our church family. Thank you for Kids for Truth and the Deaf Ministry tonight. 
pray that you will guide and direct in our lives the rest of the week and bring us back safely again on Sunday to worship you together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for being here. Have a great rest of the week, and we look forward to seeing you again on Sunday.